0: Here we are, folks. It's another week of the Poker podcast. We have assembled the crew. Uh, We're here in the booth. We're nailing our audio cues. Life could be worse. Uh, Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, where you can sort of have a little taster's choice of all the different members of the Rec and crew. It's a great group. Some of them are here tonight. Crew, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, let Poker Nation know where they can find you.
1: Well, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me on 5B5 on Twitter and 5x5 on PokerStars.
0: And I'm Keith Brandt, and I'm monkey system
2: everywhere.
3: Uh, I'm Kim Kilroy. I am PetBat, PetBat33 in most places, Fergie56 on our home games.
2: I'm Rob Wassum, and I'm Rabman50 just about
0: everywhere. Thanks, gang. I've got the best job in the world, so I just get to show up every week and talk poker with this panel of wizards. Um, I also want to thank Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino that make this possible through their support every week. So thanks, team. Um, so it's Monday night. Uh, it's after the chat's edition of the podcast, and we are playing in the nightly home game. We're stealing each other's play money chips and uh, trying to win that old bronze pin up there Uh, it looks good you can see it on hats oh actually i guess uh, keith you're the only one rocking the uh, pins right now looking sharp though i like that um And we're going to pull a post from the Rec Poker forums, just like we do every week. Uh, And we always invite our premium members to come and join us here on the show. Uh, If there's ever a a member that's made a post in the forums that they want to talk about with the panel, they've got an open invitation. We record most Monday nights. Uh, This week, we've got John Crowell joining us. Uh, He's going to be mostly focusing on the home games. This is the last day of the month that we're recording this, and he's been killing it in the leaderboard. So I'm going to take his post here which is about range betting, value betting, pod odds, and equity denial. And uh, John, you can just uh, let me know if I'm missing anything or if you want a little more follow-up information. You just keep on stealing all those chips in the home game. Job number one. So... Uh, John's got a great attitude. You can tell he's got a learner's mindset. So he opens his post right off the bat, just saying, not sure I know enough to even ask the right questions here, <laughs> but here it goes. And John, I think this is an area where this kind of terminology can be confusing for people, or maybe it's kind of esoteric in how it gets applied. And um, I thought it was just a great chance for us to go over some of these concepts so I'm just going to uh, walk through the post a little bit here and then group. Let's just talk about the uh, expressions as they come up. So range betting is the first one that comes up here. Um, and John, you say, I'm talking about the idea of setting frequencies of ac- uh, frequency of actions and sizes of bets based on your opponent's range versus your own range. Uh, not the idea of betting my full range as the term is sometimes used. I understand one of the main purposes of this is to balance my range and make me less exploitable. So, yes, you're kind of talking about two two kinds of range betting. Range betting, I think, as we typically think about it, is going to be bets that we make with our entire range. Or um, some people sometimes use it to mean a segment of the range. Rob, what's your take on that?
2: Well, I think uh, typically what we're doing is we're taking – We have a range, our opponent has a range. Now, when we talk about betting, we're talking typically the flop, right? We're we're talking about a flop situation and it all depends if you're in position, out of position, blah, blah, blah. But you're taking your hand versus their range to determine which hands within your range you want to see bet. So there's certain hands in your range that you're going to see bet at a higher frequency than others. But overall your frequency is going to be X for that range or, you know, for whatever position you're in. That's the way I kind of look at it. And look, you're, Sorry. Yeah, no, right. please go
0: ahead, Kim.
3: No, I was going to say that I look at it similar to the way Rob looks at it, but I look at it as much more flop dependent as to what yeah. we're going to do with our range. So our range would bet totally differently. Say we're the initial raiser. Uh, from middle position and we get called by the big blind and the flop comes uh, with an ace and two under cards we're going to pretty well bet all of our range if we raise with pocket deuces if we raise with seven eight suited we're just going to bet here on this ace high dry flop so that's sort of a range bet type of board so our range bet comes in it into effect depending on what the flop is. If we have a flop that is six, seven, eight, two spades, then we're not gonna be betting nearly as much of our range. We might only bet 50 or 60% of our range now instead of virtually 100% of our range.
0: Yeah. So one thing you said the same
2: thing, you said the same thing I did. That's exactly what I, what I meant in what I said. <laughs> it's, based on, it's based on the flop and then the two cards that you have, uh, which portion of your range you're going to bet at what frequency.
0: And I just want to draw uh, our attention to a distinction there. So talking about like a range bet or range betting specifically is going to be that action that you take with your entire range. Um, and then the other thing that we're getting at here is just you, uh, making our the assumptions about our opponent's range and then using that information to decide what part of our range is going to continue uh, in in a certain way. And so actual range betting, and correct me if I'm wrong, gang, um, is not, doesn't happen that often. It doesn't, all ha- it doesn't happen that often you get to a spot where you're going to be betting with your entire range. Often it's going to be in a spot that's very board texture dependent. You've got the pre-flop aggression, that kind of thing. Usually what you're going to be doing is betting with some of your range and checking with some of your range. And you're going to use your opponent's range and how it intersects with the board to decide whether you will or not. Um, And John says... So what do you call what we're learning with Gareth? Okay, great. So John's referring to the uh, Gareth James study groups that we're doing through the MTT Poker Academy on Saturdays. And um, what we're doing with Gareth, so he's, uh, we're, let, let's use the flop as an example. So he's broken down the flop into various different textures. And then he's broken the kind of hands that we can have into different kinds of hands that we can have um, as well. And basically, we're, we're looking at certain flop textures we're going to see bet at a very high frequency. And certain other flop textures we're going to see bet at a lower frequency. So uh, flop ace, king, two, we're going to see bet at a higher frequency than a flop, nine, seven, six, uh, all the same suits. Or let's say two, uh, two-tone. Um, so our and
2: the bet size also changes, and the bet size will also change. Yes,
0: yes, great point, Rob. Great point. Um, so our betting range is is going to depend on the flop and our position and all this. But to keep it simple, we're going to have different betting ranges on different flops, um, which means we're going to have different checking ranges on different flops. And hands that we might choose to see bet on an ace king two board, uh, we might choose to check behind on the nine eight seven board or the whichever example I used there. Um, so, what we're learning with Gareth is basically okay, I see what you're saying. It's how, how our entire range should be expressed. Um, not all of it's going to be through betting some of it's going to be betting and some of it's going to be checking but we're looking at the entire range. Okay, so it's it so the it's basically um it's not range betting so much as just our range analysis. We're looking at our entire range not just our betting range and we're seeing which combos show up in the uh, in each in each one there. And it's mostly just accounting for every combo in your hand. If you want to think about it like that like you start preflop And you have this wide range of hands and then you fold some of them and you continue with some of them and all those hands that you continue with have to go somewhere by the end of the hand. Um, They're either going to fold them or you're going to get them to show down or or someone else is going to fold or something like that. And we as recreational players, we get caught just thinking about what are we going to do with these two cards in front of us, or maybe even cards that might be like this, Um, or other cards that we wish we had in this moment. But we don't really think about what are we going to do with those other little parts of our range that aren't sexy or fun, but nevertheless got here anyway. Um, but we need to like know what we're going to do with them, and that's what we're doing with Gareth James and the MTT Poker Academy is saying: what do we do with our entire range?
4: Now, does the, the use of yeah. does the sorry does the use of this term also factor in exploitative play? like how we're going to change it if our opponent say he's on the button instead of the big blind, if he's a calling station, or if he's over folding, does the use of this term apply there? Or do we go to different terminology now?
0: The, the term range betting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, again, just me personally, I, I only use the term range bet when I'm referring to spots where I'm just betting with every combo in my hand, every, in my range. Um, so anytime that mm-hmm. that's that that applied, that's when I would use it. So, um, but the concept of visualizing the entire range, I think we would do that in every spot. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, Keith. Um, or yeah, like
4: we, if like if the villain's overfolding, you know, we could range bet with our
0: ah like, any flop. Yes, I see. I see. So if we if we had a note on this player that says, you know, they if we just had a note that, for instance every time someone bets six big blinds, they fold. And we knew that every time we bet six big blinds, they would fold. Then we could just bet six blinds with our entire range, for instance. And yeah. like, that would be a good one or yeah. Any spot where you can say that they, although I guess we wouldn't want to do that with our nutted hands in that case. Interesting. Right. Okay. True. But, but yeah, basically, basically it just doesn't come up that often that you make a, usually they're just good bluffing spots where you're betting a hundred percent of your range there.
2: And I, I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard it referred to as range betting. I think you use your range to determine when you're going to see bet So um, it's, it's not really called range betting. It's called see betting And your range is going to inform the times that you are going to see bet versus the times you're not, how frequently you're going to do it and what bet sizes you're going to use. Um, to Keith's point, you want to be exploited, exploitative when you have a person that overfolds. Then you can take more of your range that you may check and you may bet with that now because you know that he's going to overfold. So maybe some of those hands that you would normally check in a GTO solved p- situation, you are now going to bet because you know he's going to fold.
0: Okay. Yes. I like that. That's exactly correct and john i'm just going to unmute you here actually you can unmute yourself there and jump in anytime there you go
5: so that helps me get to the heart of my question which was again i was i was just using the the wrong term but the this range analysis that jim's talking about and that we learned with gareth um we learned that with uh if i'm in position and i was the aggressor on certain boards, I'm supposed to bet, see bet a certain amount. Sometimes it's a high bet. Sometimes it's a low bet. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes I find that that is in conflict with other uh, ideas of what I want to do with a hand.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, for mm-hmm. instance, there, there's a board. Maybe it's um, Maybe I have pocket aces. And the board comes out ace, king, queen. And according to Gareth's or the solver's answer, I'm supposed to bet that uh, very high frequency and I'm supposed to make a big bet on it. But since I'm sitting there with three aces, I think I want to keep somebody in by value betting, but value betting small. And so there are times to me when when my motives are are in contrast mm-hmm. with what this range analysis has taught us and i'm wondering if the range analysis is in fact another level of learning that i'm finally just getting to and i have to leave these other motivations behind and just sort of let the the uh, range analysis take over and, Kim, and, and you follow that completely.
0: Kim, you look like you wanted to jump in there.
3: I I did just first part of that part of the answer. Um, when we're betting a lot, when we're betting frequently, so say it's an ace or king high board, and and we are in position versus the big blind, for instance. So our range is. Very strong on those boards, and we're betting virtually almost hundred percent of our range, if not close. So when we're betting so frequently, our bet sizing should generally be small. And the only time it should be larger is not dependent on our hand strength, but dependent on whether or not there's straight draws on the board, for instance, or something else, some type of draws. If there's double straight draws or something, then we can bet higher.
0: Yeah. And John's referring to this. We saw this amazing spreadsheet that uh, Gareth put out that had, it was all sort of, he did the math for us. It's And if you're listening, you really got to join our premium membership for five bucks, use the code RecBooker and just join these MTT sessions with Gareth James. Uh, there's so much fantastic knowledge uh, in there on these Saturday sessions. So do come along and join that. Um, and yeah, so uh yeah. And he goes into some detail about the sizes you should use on various board textures. Uh, but John, I think the one thing I wanted to address in your question there, you, you, this is the question of poker. This is, we almost, we kind of talked about this in the last episode where Chris was playing a hand in the venom and we said sort of like, so how, how balanced do you even want to be here? Like how much do you care about playing your entire range versus playing this one hand this time? Uh, Cause that's, you just hit the nail on the head, John. So um I, I I have a thought yeah. on that too. Yeah, please, please. And I think
1: it's it's um so to to kind of get back to your question about whether this is like that the the next level of poker learning or thinking or or something like that. It may be, and it really really depends on who you're playing against, right? Um if you're playing against players who you know that you can bet big when you've got it and small when you don't, and they're not going to notice the difference. If you can, um, you know, take them, you know, to the, when you have your, when you hit your set of aces and you can just, just bet huge, and they're just going to keep calling you because they don't quite recognize the fact that you're betting big when you've got value and you're betting small when you bluff, um, you're in you're in a great game and you can just do that all the time right <laughs> but the moment that somebody starts to pick up on that is the moment we have to start incorporating some of these tools and some of these ideas uh, the moment that somebody says aha I get it you're betting big when you have it you're betting small when you don't now you're in a in a precarious situation and what you're doing by betting small with those aces in that um, situation is you're protecting the times when you opened, uh, with nine, 10 of hearts or, you know, this seven, eight of hearts or something, and you're still betting that board. Now they have to respect the fact that you can still have aces and you're going to get a lot more fo- You're protecting your bluffs basically is what you're doing when you, when you incorporate this kind of level of, of approach to, um, how you're, uh, you know, taking on a hand. And that is really important. If you have opponents who will sort of be able to pick up on that. Does that
5: make sense? Yeah. And, and, and I think I understood it that way. It's, it's just, uh, it's helpful to hear you say that I want to employ that tool when my opponents can pick up on my unbalanced play. And I don't necessarily have to employ that tool when I can exploit the opponent.
0: Yeah. Yep. Well said. Well said. And I think, and, and this really is, we, And we talk about GTO or balanced play as being unexploitable. And it's where we should start when we build our strategies. And then as soon as we develop, as soon as we get information about our opponents that lets us know how they're deviating from a balanced play, then we should start deviating ourselves to exploit them to the max um, is, is sort of how, and if they're not thinking about GTO stuff, if they're not thinking about ranges, then you're kind of, you're out leveling yourself um, by getting into some fancy play syndrome stuff that we are all very familiar with over here. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, setting traps for people that they won't even see. Um, but uh, ultimately, the one thing that, that you said earlier was, you know, I've got this one hand in front of me, these this pair of aces here. And what one thing that we as poker players need to decide is, am I interested in, in all the times I'm going to be in this spot making the most money with all the hands I'll ever have in this spot, or, and in which case I should play in a way that, that maximizes the profit over the entire range, or is this a spot where I just want to get this player to give me as many of their chips as possible on this hand, where I happen to have aces. Um,
5: And, and I've, I've seen it start to work already just after the, um, you know the webinar a few weeks ago. I've gotten into these positions, and you know I think to myself, and well, Gareth Solver says I should bet here and I should bet big. Um, you know I I maybe have ten jack, and the um, and the flop comes out with king queen in it or or mm-hmm. something that that's not even that good for me, but it's two broadways or whatever, and um, I, I decide to follow the a solver solution, and I bet, and, you know, thinking, oh, normally I would think, oh, this guy's definitely got a king or he's definitely got a queen, and suddenly they're folding, and mm-hmm. I don't even have anything, and they're folding to me, so.
0: <laughs> and, that's, and that's just, you know, um, mm-hmm. when, when we start thinking about ranges instead of hands, we can also, like you put in your post here, we can visualize our opponent's range, and when we know that most of their range does not like that flop very well, Um, it does give you that kind of confidence to go and make those, make those bluff bets and take it away. And it just feels like a, uh, it's a, it's it's a better investment. Um, when, when you can visualize that entire, there's
2: nothing better than raising pre-flop with pocket fives. (sighs) Getting a flop of ace, queen, three, and then c-betting and having everybody fold. Yep. Well, we have a backdoor straight draw. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's
5: right. (laughs) Uh, I I remember, I think, doing it with seven, nine, when an ace and a queen came out on the board. Yeah. And it was exactly that. And I got the fold. I never would have done that a month ago. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, Chris, Chris points quads. out backdoor quads. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And John, that's just it, right? Because the cards that you have in your hand, they're private information. Um, but your opponents making assumptions about your range, whether, he, whether you know it or not, they are. Whether they even know it or not, they are. Um, and so you can represent those parts of your range that you don't have in your hand right now. And that's where it gets extremely valuable to, to start thinking about ranges. And, and I think it is kind of a next level of, um, for me, in my own poker learning, when I started thinking about ranges and how empty they really were, um, that really helped me as a bluffer uh, gain the courage to pull the trigger on a lot of those post-flop spots. Um, and, and, but it's really tied, it's almost foolish to talk about ranges without also talking about board textures because it, it, different board textures yeah. intersect really differently with different ranges. And so you can almost, unless you're talking pre-flop, it really has to be tied to a specific board texture. Um, and then there's an art to that too. And, and, and a science, unfortunately, <laughs> but, uh, it does, it does take, and those Gareth James, uh, spreadsheets and the way to think about it is breaking it down to those different kinds of flops and different kinds of textures. And we've done this in our own rec poker studies, Chris Jones has put these um, dynamic versus uh, static board textures and that kind of stuff. We've done seminars on that. So, um,
5: So Rob, um, you did make a couple of attempts. Thank you to answer my <laughs> question in the forum. Um, yes. but can you talk a little bit more about equity denial?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting subject because um, what you're what you're trying to do with equity now. Say you have that hand like seven eight, and you happen to hit a flop that has um, a seven as the top card. So now you've got seven eight, which isn't much. You've got top pair with a horrible kicker, and you could have a couple people sitting there with overcards. You know they could have king queen, queen jack, ace king, whatever. Now, they have a lot of equity in that hand because any card over an eight could be a trouble for you, right? So that's when you you are going to bet certain sizes on certain flop textures to get those types of hands to fold because now you're denying them the equity um, that they actually have in the hand. So the right that's odds. just a, yeah, the yeah. right, yeah, yeah exactly.
4: You're, you're pricing them out of the hand.
2: Right. So if they do make the call, they're making a mistake, which is that. And that goes along with the flush draw, for instance, if you bet big enough so that they are making a mistake by calling with a flush draw, then you're they're making a mistake. They might get there and and, (laughs) you know they might get there and take the pot anyway. But the fact that you didn't give them the proper pot odds to call is denying them the equity that they have in the hand.
3: So if you make a small bet that's too small, then you are not denying them equity and you're making the mistake because now they have the right
5: equity to call. But there are times when I have a made hand and they have a flush draw. And you have have to deny their equity. I don't want to deny them their equity. No, you
3: do, but you can't make a step too small. Like if you make a too small a bet, so that's when you have to uh, sort of like study the odds, the odds well, I, of them hitting right. flush draw. I,
5: I, I do understand that, but if I have a better hand, don't I want to keep them in the hand for value?
3: Yes. So you have to bet enough so that they're making the mistake by calling.
0: Yeah you okay, don't want sorry. you don't want them to be able to. Um, you want to make the Yeah. You want to give them opportunities to make mistakes. That's, that's the right. best way to think about that. Okay. Yeah, but it.
5: Then it then it comes back to them. They either make the mistake or they don't, right. but I don't entice them by betting smaller to keep them in the
0: hand. Chris, Chris did you have something on that?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I think um, one of the things that goes in line with the, the idea of equity denial is the idea of fold equity and that we, they kind of go hand in hand. They're, they're sort of related terms. And the, the idea is that part of the reason, you know, sometimes we, I think we have to ask ourselves often why we're betting. I mean, that should be a question we're asking, like asking ourselves consistently when we make a bet, you know, I am making a bet for equity denial slash value. I am making a bet uh, as a bluff and I am targeting this kind of hand with this bluff you know, this kind of better hand to fold. And what we're doing there is we're, we're helping ourselves understand why we're betting. Um, and so that, cause to me, the, one of the reasons when we have seven, eight, right. And it's a seven high flop, but there's two clubs on it. We probably, you know, probably have the best hand. If it's a seven, four deuce flop with two clubs, we probably have the best hand and uh, if somebody has two clubs in their hand, there's nothing better than them folding. Like, I, right. uh, like, uh, like, yes, it's great if they call and no clubs hit and, you know, that's great, <laughs> but, but they probably have cards that are going to be above ours, you know, in that those club holdings, they can hit those two. Um, if they've got Jack 10 of clubs, they have a lot of equity. Um, I, it, uh, let's take our, uh, you know, this is not a great hand to begin with. This is awesome if they fold that's that's just wonderful that's right so it's for protection as well right right
3: so when you have a overcard say an overpair to the to the board so instead of top pair you have now have an overpair say you have pocket aces or pocket kings and it comes seven high with two clubs and you don't have a club in your hand now you can bet but you don't may not need to bet as big as you might want to bet when you just have, when you've just hit the seven and now you're betting for protection and for equity denial.
0: Although right. here we're already, now we're already talking about having different sizes for different parts of our range though. So mm-hmm. we're already kind of getting away from that standardized uh, approach, which is, which is fine because we're. we're well,
3: often there are two to. different bet sizes.
0: Yeah. And
3: yeah. when the solvers will often come with a bunch of different bet sizes that you should use
0: that's,
5: the that's points, really so. the heart of my question right there
0: Aha. Are,
5: are those times is that what's going to make me decide if if the solver says bet 96 percent of the time and check four percent of the time or whatever I'm, I'm reversing it the to situation
3: 100 here <laughs>
2: I'd round it to hundred, yeah. <laughs> but the bet um, size is what you're what you're getting at, and the bet size really has to do with the um, flop texture is
0: mm-hmm.
2: going to inform what the bet size should be. And as part of that, um, the solver is already built in that this the reasons why you're betting the different sizes is either to leverage the advantage you have knowing your own cards or realizing your own equity or preventing your opponent's equity realization so those are the the two things that you're trying to do and the solvers dis, the solvers suggestions as what the bet sizes should be are based on those concepts
4: okay in a lot of uh a lot of the situations you're going to have a choice that's roughly 50 50 mm-hmm. between two bet sizes okay. and now you're thinking about exploitative play mm-hmm. If uh if you've got the hand and uh, he likes to call with with something worse and, and he'll call when you price him out of his draw, then you make the big bet size. If uh he's way if he's aggressive, he's gonna check raise you a lot or or something when, when he's got something he could check raise you with, maybe. Um, then you'd go with a smaller size. And so it depends on this is when you see those uh, um, two different those mixed strategies. And they're roughly even, and like two thirds, one third, or closer than that. Um, now you're thinking about about uh, exploitative play. Those are your exploitative opportunities.
1: And John, if you if you want to go back, and and for all our listeners too, if you want to go back into the Rec Poker seminar archive, we did a whole seminar on flop texture and betting, and I think it's one of the best ones we've done i think it's it's really good conversation some really good content there um i'm trying to pull it up right now for some reason it's my <clears> internet <throat> seems to be slowed down i can't figure it, But but it, it's uh yeah. go look for flop texture embedding and it's it's a seminar we did um and there's some really good content on it i think
2: yeah
0: that i remember that one. i think it was last spring that was a that was really it
2: should a be one. early 2020 i think is yeah. when we did it
0: right oh yeah i keep thinking i'm still writing 2021 and all my checks <laughs> <laughs> it was early 2020 that that we did yeah, it. I I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah that it was, was like, before 30 even 30. i joined. up. yeah there you go keith it's a uh,
1: february well, uh, of t- 2021. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was february 2021 it was just
0: there there you go and um john that. john one thing that you've uh hit on here in your post is that the answer to so many poker questions is it depends. It depends. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the answer is so often because there are so many competing factors that it's sort of like a, there, there's a lot of assumptions that we have to make, right? Cause we don't have perfect information. So different people might make different assumptions about what your opponent's range is. And they might also make different assumptions about what actions your opponent might take based on your actions. So that that's hard. Um, But then also a lot of it's going to come down to you, the poker player needing to decide in the moment, okay, am I going to listen to this part of my poker experience and teaching or am I going to listen to this part? Because they are kind of telling me different things and your job becomes, you know, you have to, you have to be the one who decides which ones to kind of prioritize, which ones to, which ones are more important. Um, so an example for that might be, you're coming up on the bubble of a of a satellite tournament or something. So you're going to look at all the different factors in your hand, but you're going to say, okay, now one thing that's really important that I can't forget about is ICM here. I can't go bust. So I'm going to put more emphasis on that when I'm building my strategy for this hand, I might play it a little more passively or something like that. Um another situation you might be in and say well okay so this player to my left is just raising me every time i open pre-flop um so you you're gonna you're gonna have that new piece of information kind of like okay even though ace 10 offsuit has blockers and i can open it's just open folded, i'm just i'm just not even going to play it here because in this particular spot having a blocker is kind of like less important to having the kind of hand i want to be able to play with post-flop or stuff stuff like that i i feel like as i learn more about poker it it's almost a question of just like knowing or continuing to learn what to be thinking about in the hand and what factors are the most important ones and which ones to prioritize because our brain space is also a limited resource. Some of us more than others. So Mm -hmm. you really have to uh, put it to good use, um, effectively as you can. You mentioned, um, so your, your meta question, uh, what should I be thinking about or should my decision to bet be solely based on what Gareth's saying or about, you know, this particular spot, my hand. And that is the great question in poker, I think, is that sort of, am I betting my hand or am I betting, am I playing my hand or am I playing my range? Um, does anyone on the panel have any good thoughts for when to prioritize one or the other? I mean, Chris kind of hit on the main one, which is if your opponent's not thinking in ranges, then, you don't need some fancy trap with shiny lures. You just have a big club and you hit them with the club. <laughs> you take your strong hands and you hit them with it. Um, and if, you know, then then you can get it. Yeah, straight, Chris,
1: yeah. I mean, and and reverse, you know, like I have notes on players that are like, you know, you know, this player is bad. And what that tends <laughs> to mean to me is do not bluff them. <laughs> right. right? Like, right. th- this is going to be a player that's not going to understand that they should be folding in this situation and they're going to call down with some, some marginal hand. So like the questions you asked about, you know, do I play my range? Do I play my hand? I think the first question you start with is not, e- not either of those questions is who am I playing? Right. And, and what are, where are they thinking about in their poker sort of like levels? Um, and if they're, if they're never going to fold, um a top pair type holding and you're like so certain that's what they have don't try to bump them off of it mm-hmm. and size up and 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 deviate from all the stuff right. that... and if you've got value in that situation you can beat top pair and again you're certain right then like forget all these like gto sizings just jam it on them and like let's get all their chips so like if you're you've got to like figure out what kind of opponents you're playing
0: yeah. And don't yes, feel, don't it. feel like responsible to theory either. I, I do right. this all the time. I, I shoot myself in the foot so many times because I'm like, Oh, I guess I have to call here. Cause he's probably doing it with all these other things. And I'm like, Oh no, he just had the nuts. Well, hm. oh, I guess I didn't. Yeah, they, always have it. Yeah. Yeah. they always they have, have, it. have it. Sometimes <laughs> they just
3: have it. Sometimes.
0: <laughs>
3: I've been calling nice. down a lot lately. To buy poker <laughs> yeah. and, and they haven't had it. So. Right.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they if their
4: breathing changes be- between two minutes.
3: Two. <laughs> that's right. You got it. You got it. Thank you, Ryan Laplante.
4: I am never going to forget that one.
3: Um, that, that's a good segue into his question about value betting and what value bets are.
0: Well, sure, uh, John. Did you have John? Do you have any other questions about that sure, or any just, more uh, points?
5: What What you had said there really hit home. Uh, be responsible to theory, um, right? And that goes back to my. Sort of the heart of the question as well. Am I, am I supposed to be responsible to theory? Um, and it sounds like yes when it's appropriate.
0: Yeah, but don't feel handcuffed to it, right? No. That's the real key there, I think. And and just listen to oh, your, yeah. you know, the more player you, the more poker you play, the, the you can just listen to your insights more when it comes like that.
3: Game. Most of the money we make in poker is not from sticking to theory; it's from exploiting our opponents. Yeah,
0: yeah I right, think GTO is just
2: the base. That gives you the base strategy that you could use for every situation, and then you you deviate from that based on your opponent's tendencies. that's that's what it's all about. So I don't think none of the players that we're playing against are playing Gto. right you know, you, you might see that on the super high roller Bowl on TV or something like that. You might see a lot of GTO type play, but when you're talking our home games, our you know our our weeklies at the casinos, you're looking at those players and you're looking at ways to exploit what they're doing. And you have this basic knowledge of GTO, which tells you what is the right way to do it so you can recognize when they're not doing it the right way and then take advantage of
0: that. And John, I'll tell you this. If Gareth James was playing in our home games, he would also not be playing a GTO approach. He would he would be abandoning his, own, his spreadsheets that he shared with us uh, to exploit the mistakes that the players in our games are making, because ultimately what you want to be doing is you want to be exploiting the mistakes that your players are going to make, which means you need to get good at player typing, start making good assumptions about the mistakes they're going to make, and then then you can start setting those traps. Um, So it's really less about, you know, having your own style of poker that you play all the time. And it's more about having like a Solid base of theory that you're confident with, and then choosing how to flex that into more and less aggressive styles, depending on who who's across from you. uh Kim, you want to move on to uh, value betting, and then I we'll just, wrap this. If we're gonna,
3: yeah, if we're yeah. gonna get. He's so. If, so you want to read what you had there, oh, John, yeah. on value betting, or?
0: Yeah, John, would you like to? Or uh, I don't even have, so it, don't up have it. up. Me. Let me. I'll jump right in. So he's early on, and I was taught this too, John. um If you have a good hand you want to bet as much as you think you can get them to call with to make the most money possible. Um, and I understand that if someone pays attention this can be exploited uh, by them overfolding. And yeah, I think it's a value bet if it can get called by a worse hand. That's what that's what I always think of a value bet as. If 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 you make a value if you make a bet so big that it's only going to get called by better hands than yours, um, it's no longer a value bet. Um it's now it's it's effectively a bluff. And, and I learned this phrasing on the Thinking Poker podcast about 3,000 years ago, but um, you can contort your opponent's range by the size of the bets that you make. So if you make really small bets, they're going to continue with a really wide range. If you make really big bets, they're going to continue with only a small tighter part of that range. So when you are value betting, you're kind of value targeting. You're saying, okay, I've got a set. So how much can I, I want to get paid by a two pair hand. Um, how much am I going to bet as a value bet in that spot? Um, if you think he can have, they, they can have a lot of two pairs or something. There's yeah, also Kim?
3: thin value betting. Yep. And thin value betting is making a very small bet with a very mediocre hand where you only have minimal amount of value, but you'll think you'll get called by worse. So you might have middle pair on a board and think you'll get called by bottom pair on mm-hmm. the board for instance so
0: and I think it doesn't bets too and and I the only thing I would quibble with there Kim is I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be a small bet necessarily it just has to be a not very powerful hand like it um
3: if you think you can
0: get called if you bet, think you can right. get called yeah so yeah. it's 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 really about what is my opponent's calling range going to look like and then um, you know, your range and your sizing should always be tied together there, Chris.
1: Well, and part part of the question I think that I that is being asked here is, you know, doesn't that get in the way of balance? And this idea of I understand that if someone pays attention, to this they can be exploited by overfolding. And I think one of the things to think about with um these ideas is, I think the further, I mean, certainly there are you know, if you're up against you know, Fader Holtz or somebody like that, that they're going to be practice in this down to every street and every bet and every bet sizing and all that kind of stuff. But I think that one of the things we, that the further away we get from the both pre flop and the flop, those are points where I think Mm. a lot of players have some fundamental understanding of this is what typical sizing should look like. This is what a big, Uh, C bet looks like. This is what a small C bet looks like. This is what they tend to mean. This is what that means on this board. You know, I think even, you know, a lot of players are that sophisticated and then the more we get towards like turns and rivers um, those are points where uh, those things still matter. And against certain opponents, they still matter a lot, but against certain opponents, I think then bet sizing and, and value targeting can start to deviate a lot more from those sort of like more better understood, more maybe more practiced, more rote parts of poker. Um, and if you do think you can get value out of somebody on a turn or a river and bet really big, um, go for it. You know, like I, I think there are players aren't as comfortable or practiced in those situations. And I think the more you get away from those early parts of the hand, the more. That deviates for at least the larger player pool. That's my opinion, at least. Do you
3: do you think we can make large pot size value bets without being able to make large pot size bluffs in um,
1: our range? No, no, I don't uh. think we. Well, not in, I mean, it depends, right? If we're up against that exact type of player that I'm talking about, that um, that you just can't bluff, right? Then yes.
0: In so a non balanced way. So
1: that
3: then that's about. when we make it more opponent dependent.
1: Yeah. Right. right.
3: But I don't, I, in my opinion, like I don't ever think I should do, unless I find an opponent like that, which is yeah. a very specific example. And hold them I don't them think close I should ever do. make, don't
0: ever let them go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ever
3: think I should make a pot size bet. <laughs> say, on the river without being able to make a pot size bluff on the
1: river.
3: I, I, so I, I never make bluffs on the river? Then I can oh, never no. make those bets on the
1: river, right? No, no you no, never
0: you never make bluffs on the river anyway, no, I said
1: if I, could, <laughs> if I can't do it. <laughs> no, I agree. I, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I think we have to be capable of bluffing. And I'm just talking about um, this idea of um, value betting and, like, this idea of like, aren't we exploited if we can, if we make these different sizes, I think we can start to to stray from, mm. like, we can make some bigger bets. Um,
3: I mean, to, there to are some opponents value. that I just don't think will ever bluff pot size on the river or three quarters pot on For the sure. river. For sure. So I am always folding. Right.
2: Right. Sure, that's an exploit. Yeah. Exploiting okay. them by folding. Yes. Right?
3: So that's. Yep. That's what you're saying in that, John. That you know, yes. that's that so you have to be able to make pot size bluffs as well. Okay. <laughs> and that's the hard thing to do.
5: Yes, it is.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It it and what really- about the opponent? That, but it all comes down to the opponent, right? Like, what yeah. are they paying attention to? And are they going to, because then you get into these leveling wars with other players, which is probably the most fun you can have in poker, honestly. Like, that's probably what I like most about uh, poker is just, uh, you know, um, what is it? Are you with a Sicilian when death is on the line? You know, uh, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, it really is about playing that, that person. Boy, that's a exactly. lot of word salad there. Mm-hmm.
3: I, I, that's why I like live poker so much because yeah. nobody ever thinks I'm bluffing for a huge bet on the river right. ever.
0: Right. <laughs> like, right.
3: It's just so easy to do.
0: I'm writing, that, I'm writing that down, Kim, for next time we're playing live. I'm going to call down those big river bets. <laughs> so, so John, I think it's another one of those. Um, are you playing the hand in your, are you playing the two cards in your hand or are you playing your range? Uh, because you're, you can, if you're playing your range, then I think you want to be more standardized, like we're talking about. And then if you're going to okay. exploit, then exploit to the moon and um, and play your hand against that player. Um, and then, yeah, just, just be thoughtful about which players you got to play your range against for your own protection and which players you could just play your hand against. And um, the other point that uh, Chris was getting at earlier, I think also the further in the hand you get, the less balanced matters as well. Even not only are players kind of like less used to playing the river than they are the turn than they are the flop, but you're, you're already so far down the decision tree. Um, it's just less important in my opinion, in the games that we're playing uh, to be balanced uh, as you get that far down. So you can, and
1: there, there are a lot of situations in poker related to that where, you know, we talk about opponents who are sort of inelastic to sizing. That's yeah. a term you'll sometimes hear like that. Like I can bet, like theory says here on the river here, but I've got the best hand and I'm pretty sure about it. And I don't think this opponent's going to fold for anything. So I'm going to go two X pot, you know, and like they're going to call me. Yeah. And and that's great.
0: And and if I was Chris's backer and he told me that he bet 25% pot with the nuts because the solver told him to in a spot where he could have gotten called for a tube pot, uh, a uh, two-size-the-pot bet, then I would be furious at him for playing GTO in that way because he had a chance to make a better decision for, for his poker game, which was to exploit that player. Um, weird way of getting at that, but I think you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You, you're you're kind of like leaving money on the table um, if you don't exploit players. So, no, actually,
5: uh, that made it very clear.
0: Yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're, you're so when you're your own backer, be furious at yourself. When you that's about it. it. Afterwards.
0: Yes, because we are all our own backers, and even as recreational yeah. players, you know, we might not have a bankroll. Maybe we've got a budget instead, but that's you know that money comes from somewhere, and and part of being uh you know a serious um player, the the only way we get to keep track is with money or with chips at least so uh winning the most when you can win and losing the least when you can lose that makes a big difference because everyone wins with aces and everyone loses with two sub so if you can lose less you win
2: with aces uh, yeah, sometimes i was gonna say <laughs> good, good point.
0: point speak for yourself <laughs> <Good point>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true um but yeah basically you make money in poker by not doing things reciprocally with everybody else. So if you can win bigger pods than they do and lose smaller pods than they do, um, that's already going to make a big difference towards uh, your bottom line. I knew we were going to find some fun rabbit holes on this one, gang. Uh, John, was there anything else on that subject while we've got you here that we could talk about a little further? Um, uh, I really liked that range. Uh, yeah.
5: No, I so, think that uh, sums
0: it up for me beautiful well thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts and you know it's sometimes it's tough to for people to come out there and admit they don't have all the answers and it's great having people like you that put questions out there and want to want to learn and uh, you know how can we ever learn if we only ever talk about things that we perfectly understand so um, I I appreciate that
3: I have one thing to say uh, also and that's that a lot of players still tend to look for the monsters under the bed and Mm -hmm. just because a flop has two spades in it doesn't mean your opponent automatically has spades in their hand and a flush draw. Like it doesn't mean you have to price out all the flush draws right away. Right? Like it's 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 not it, they probably don't have a flush draw. If they call a big bet, now maybe they do have a flush draw.
0: Right. right? We've con- we've contorted so. their range that way, yeah. Yeah. but i
3: mean you don't have to automatically think that you have to just because there's a there's one draw out there that we have to now bet differently
0: yeah that was a big thing for me just just visualizing the entire range that our opponent could have there and realizing just how much of that was empty space um that'll <laughs> do wonders for your red line once you start
3: flopzilla for that is yeah
0: great. oh flopzilla is excellent for that yeah that's a great one um and we have a few uh, we have a few Flopzilla videos here and there around rec poker. If people want to find out more about that, and I know Keith and Chris are also very active with Flopzilla. Um, I actually use person, Flopzilla
5: yeah. quite a bit as well.
0: Oh yeah, great. It's a phenomenal program. We don't we don't have any professional relationship with them. I can't, we don't make any money, but I would tell everyone go get Flopzilla, it's worth the 30 bucks uh, one time. It's the premier range analysis software um out there you can tell them jim sent you but it won't make any difference you don't get a discount and they won't say anything to me either so <laughs> all right well uh, this is fantastic thanks gang um john i hope we get a chance to have you on again uh sometime i've really enjoyed uh seeing you in the strategy conversations we've had and i can't wait to be a bigger part of your poker journey i want to see you playing in the venom next year with chris yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you to uh website amp and running aces hotel racetrack and casino and to rob kim jack john chris and keith and of course steve fredland and all you listening thanks so much see you again soon